Several weeks ago, Monty asked me to uh, explain to you guys what in the world U3 means, and I very cruelly and heartlessly shot him down and said later. And so here we are, and I get to talk about it today. Because uh, Woody finished his series that he was doing, and uh, we'll be starting 1 Thessalonians next week. Uh, there's a week in between, so I thought I would take opportunity to talk a little bit about U3 and about um, kind of how I came up with it and what it means. And so this is me trying to be clever, okay? U3 born, redefined, etc. And so people are asking me, what does that mean? And how do you explain it? And what in the world? And so uh, we'll take the top line there, all right? It says U3 born. Well, it's supposed to be U3 born, all right? As you see written on the bottom there. And like I said, this is me being clever. So you have U, you have three, and then born, right? All right, so you, you get, I think you can play along now. The next one is U3 defined, right? You see the same, same thing there, right? Whoop, I went one too far. U3 defined. So, in all my cleverness, which backfires often, <laughs> I call it U3, all right? And so when I say, hey, U3, then, you know, what three? I don't know exactly, but they know who I'm talking about, so... Um, but as you, as you look down the list there and you see youth reborn, youth redefined, youth redeemed, youth reconciled, and youth revolution, well, I, I wanted it to be sort of a, almost a rallying cry, something that would be recognizable to us, understandable, that would make people ask questions about it, and um, things like that. But really, deeper into it is a desire for us to, like it says in the second line there, redefine in a sense, what what uh, not just youth is about, youth meaning teenagerhood, that's how I'm using the term right now, and the term teenager didn't exist until like the 50s, and so I don't know what they called them before the 50s, but it wasn't teenagers, and uh, and so it, it has already been redefined, and I want to redefine it again, but not not only that, not only how we think about youth and how we think about what youth are capable of, what youth are responsible for, what we can expect out of youth, not only that kind of stuff, but certainly I mean that, I mean all of that, but also I mean redefining how we think about youth ministry, youth group, the youth in our church in that sense. And uh, many of you know, probably most of you know, that I have no training in youth ministry and not only that, but I wasn't even in youth ministry myself. I became a believer in the last two months or three months uh, that I was a senior in high school. And so I, I came to youth group like twice ever as, as a youth myself. So I have no personal experience about what it was like. And therefore, I don't have a whole lot of understanding in my head about what it should be like. But I look around. I've done a lot of reading. I've talked to a, a lot of folks. I've seen things that have that have been tried in different places around the world, really, uh, regarding youth. And there are some really good things and some really bad things. And, and one of the bad things, one of the things that I, that I want to avoid and want us as Parkside to avoid is that there's a tendency, particularly in this day and age, in our time right now, to isolate youth, take them off by themselves, so that they're by themselves. And in, in a lot of churches, during this service, the youth would be having their own service with their own preacher, their own music, their own... They don't have pews, I'm sure, because they're youth. But they, they have their own thing going on, right? And so we're here, and they're there, and they don't mix. And 
well, there might be some advantages to that, but there are some very great disadvantages. And one of the great disadvantages is that when a high school student who has gone through that sort of program where they've been in a parallel but not intersecting whatsoever sort of ministry, then they graduate high school, all they know is youth youth ministry, and very often they graduate high school, they, gra- they graduate from church because they don't want to be in here with us boring people. They, they've, they've never gotten to know us or what it's like here, right? And so very often you see this trend happening where they, they graduate from high school, they graduate from church, and they're gone. And they're just gone. They have no love for the church, no investment in the church. The church has invested a lot in them by giving them their parallel universe. But they're not invested in the church. And so that's, that's one thing among many that I've, that I've observed about youth ministry. And, uh, and so I, I want to, I want to redefine how we think about youth ministry. That involves how we think about youth as in junior high and high school students, but also about ministry to them. And, uh, there's a lot of theology packed in there. I had to pack in some theology there. I, I wanted to put a lot more re-words up in there, but, uh, I, I, I didn't, you know, I wanted people to be able to fit it on one page. And stuff like that. So I, I, I kept it limited. I kept it limited. And I ended on a positive note, revolution. And so that's... Um, anyway. So when you hear you three, that's what I'm talking about. Unless I'm pointing at three people and saying you three. But usually what I'm talking about is youth. And this is what I mean. It's a, it's a catchphrase to refer to the youth so I don't have to call them the youth. <laughs> I, can, I can call it you three. It's a little more catchy. But also there's a lot of meaning packed in there. There's a lot of meaning. I mean, look at all the theology in there. Look, look at all of the deep uh, things that we could be talking about. We could talk about youth reborn, and I could do a whole, you know, big message on that to talk about what it means to be reborn. What does it mean to be redeemed, right? So all those things are there. And so that is a sort of my intro to our message today, which I have entitled, Who Wants to See Us Grow? Who wants to see us grow? Now, I throw that out there with not a lot of definition about what that means. And so you have your own understanding of, of the words that I use and of the question. And so you might answer it in your own, in your own way and we could have a discussion and, and, and all of that. But who wants to see us grow? And I think the answer is everyone. Everyone wants to see us grow in the way that they're understanding. And so that's what I want to talk about today. If you would open in your Bibles to... Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 1, but before I do, I'd like us to pray together. Lord, we are uh, grateful, very grateful that you gave us your word, that you help us to understand um, who you are what you've done, who we are, and what we are to do. You've helped us to understand from your word who we are and how we can know you. Lord, I pray as we come to your word, as we talk about body life this morning, as we talk about unity in the body of Christ, as we talk about uh, diversity and the diverse ways you've gifted us, as we talk about all of these things and how you've intended the body of Christ to function and grow I pray that you would help us, help us to understand, help us to engage. 
I pray that you would help us in our own thinking not to be distracted by what's going on outside the doors or what's going on after, uh, after the service is over or what went on this morning. Lord, help us to be here and now with you sitting at your feet uh, from your word. Pray that you would bless us, help us open our eyes to see and our, our minds to understand and our, and our hearts to, uh, to follow after you. So we pray for your blessing, for your help this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to start at verse 1. We're going to be focusing on later verses, but I'm going to start in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he, that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, so the first six verses there, you see there's a big emphasis on unity, right? There's a big emphasis on the fact that in Christ we are one. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father, right? One, okay? There's a big emphasis all the way through verses 1 through 6 on that. And therefore, how we should act towards one another. Being patient with one another. Serving one another. Bearing with one another, right? So that's the unity. That's the emphasis there in verses 1 through 6. But then he switches in verse 7. And he says, yes, one. Yes, unified. But, notice the but in verse 7. He's going to talk about his various gifts to the body. That's point one. Gifts to the body. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. All right. So we have the unity, the oneness, the sameness, the togetherness that's focused on early. But within that unity, there's varied gifting that's happened so that each of us have received different kinds of gifts. And we're going to talk a lot about that. The first there is Christ's gifts to individuals. Christ's gifts to individuals. All right, so he's talking about 
spiritual gifting that happens when we become believers. The saints have gifting in various ways. There are other passages that talk more clearly and more expansively on the topic of of, uh, spiritual gifts. One of them is 1 Corinthians 12. You can write that down, verses 4 through 7, say, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The one God and Spirit gives gifts variously for the common good. Also, Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads with zeal and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we have gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us. And that's talking about us in here. We're gifted differently. Finally, 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As good stewards of God's varied grace. So here in, in Christ's gifting, giving gifts to individuals, we see that he has given the, the church spiritual gifts that are to be used for very specific and varied reasons. He says in 1 Corinthians, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And again in 1 Peter, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. The point is, Christ has given the church every gift, everything that it needs to flourish. He's given it everything it needs to flourish. So those are his gifts to individuals. Now we look down at verses 8 through 10 and we see Christ's authority to give those gifts. Where did he get those gifts? Why does he have the authority to give them? Verses 8 through 10. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended... What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, when I started working on this passage and I ran across these verses, I realized that I had a, a little bit of an uphill climb here. Because um, if, if you look, the quotation there is from Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen: When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. You flip open to Psalm 68:18. What does it say? It says he received gifts from men. Interesting. So did Paul make a mistake? Paul wrote Ephesians. When he wrote this, did he make a mistake? Well, no, he didn't make a mistake. But how do we solve that? How does the Old Testament passage say he received gifts from men, and then Paul in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter four, says he gave gifts to men? How do those two things work together? Well. The commentators have come up with at least five different possible solutions to that. <laughs> and I'm not going to bore you with them. But um, if you will flip open to Psalm 68, we're not going to spend much time here. But if you'll open to Psalm 68, we'll walk through quickly what I think are, are two good ones. Psalm 68, you see verse 18. All right. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train. 
and receiving gifts from men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Okay, so that's that's verse 18. One solution that I thought was a little convoluted is that the ancient uh, Hebrews, when they read this, they they saw the time probably referred to here when when God took or received gifts from men when he was ascending on high as referring back to Numbers 8 and Numbers 18, which talk about things going on on Mount Sinai. Okay, so Moses, remember, went up the mountain and what did he receive from God? He received the Ten Commandments, right? But it was, so it was God who was doing uh, the giving there, but at the same time, in those passages, it says in that same context that God took for himself the Levites. He took them. So he took the Levites from amongst Israel. They were his own. So he received that gift from men. And then he turned around and he gave that gift back to Israel as ministers and priests to them. So at the same time, the Israelites had the Levites taken from them at the same time given back to them. So one commentator thought that there's various language here that makes him think that that's the case. That really... Paul, being a Jew and knowing his Jewish tradition as well as his scripture very well, was looking back and he saw this as pointing to God taking the Levites, taking them as his own possession, but then also giving them as a gift back to the people. And that's and that that's what's being referred to here in Psalm 68. I don't know. I, I think that's pretty good, but it's a little convoluted. I think it's easier to look at verse 35 of, of Psalm 68. So if you're still in Psalm 68... Look at verse 35. I know this is a little thick, but we've got to wade through these waters so that we can get everything in order, okay? Hang with me. Hang with me. We'll, we'll get there. All right, so Psalm 68, verse 35. Ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the darkness, 34 says. 35 says, awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. And so the same psalm that back in verse 18 talked about him receiving gifts like a victor receives gifts or tribute from people at the same time at the end of the psalm in verse 35 focuses on the fact that he gave them to people he's the one who gives strength he's the one who gives power he's the source of those gifts and so paul when he was reading this psalm may have been thinking well people gave him gifts but compared to the gifts that god gives to us those gifts that people give him are really pretty insignificant and so emphasis is back on what God gives to us. So that's a little aside, but I, had, I have to do that because when you're reading it and you are being a studious student of the word as you are want to be, I'm sure, and you read an Old Testament quote, I'm sure you flip back and, and look at it, right? And when you do that and you see he received gifts from men, you get confused. But this is what's going on. It's God ultimately who is the giver of the gift in this situation. And so when we read our passage here, and he says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then the emphasis is on Jesus' ascension to the Father. Now, what does that matter? What does that really matter? The fact that Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, went to be with the Father. What does that really matter? Well, we don't maybe think about that a lot. Maybe we do. But as we read Ephesians, we see earlier on in, in chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, we see this. We see, well, that's a long sentence. I'm trying to figure out, how do you jump in the middle of a sentence? I don't know. All right, so I'll start, I'll start in verse 20. That he worked in Christ 
So his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, ascended to heaven. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. And so Paul is just establishing again, reminding us what he's already talked about back in chapter one. I know we haven't been going through the book of Ephesians, so I wanted to point you back to that, that in Paul's thinking, the fact that Christ is ascended and seated at the right hand of the father gives him all authority, all authority. So the gifts are his to give. He has the power. He has the right. He has the authority. He has the wisdom to give them appropriately to his people. And so that's what we see in verses 8 through 10. That's Christ's authority to give. So within this very unified body, Christ has given very diverse gifts to individuals. Now let's look at Christ's gift, gifts to the body. Verse 11, Christ's gifts to the body. Verse 11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about those gifts per se we have other fuller lists of spiritual gifts in the new testament and that's not really my emphasis today but uh the apostles and prophets at least in paul's thinking in ephesians were the foundation layers of the church if you look at chapter 2 and verse 20 it says the household of god is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone so the foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets in Paul's thinking in Ephesians. In a similar way, chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul says, the mystery of Christ was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So there's a, a sense that he's building the church based upon these apostles and prophets. Okay, So he's not talking about necessarily the spiritual gift of apostle or necessarily the spiritual gift of prophet. That's a different discussion for a different day. He's talking about mainly sort of those offices that laid the foundation for the New Testament church. He also mentions the evangelist. What's an evangelist? Someone who shares the gospel. Right? Some people are professional evangelists or constant evangelists. Some people are gifted evangelists. The rest of us are called to be evangelists. The evangelists. Those are the ones he gave to the church. He also gave shepherds or pastors those are the ones who are given leadership and care of a particular com congregation, usually. They're the managers of the church. Shepherd and pastor, it's the same word. It means the same thing. At the same time, he gave teachers. There are those who teach the word. Now, there's a close connection between pastors and teachers, between shepherds and teachers. Some think it's actually a, a hyphenated gift or a hyphenated office. It's one thing. They're very closely related. I don't know how closely. But anyway, as we're looking through this list... The fact that he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists, shepherds and teachers. We look through that list. What do they all focus on? What's the Think about what's the common theme amongst all of those offices or gifts. What's the common theme there? The common theme is scripture. It's the conveying of biblical truth. Okay. In the other lists of, of spiritual gifts that we have, there's often mercy listed or giving or things like that. You see these other things listed. These, it seems like he looked at the whole list, whatever list was in his mind, and he focused on the teaching of the word. 
And he says, this is Christ's gift to the body, is the teaching of God's word. It's a very special gift, particularly in this passage. We're going to see how that plays out. But I want us to see that it's an emphasis on the teaching of God's word. All right. So in one sense, this teaching or these people who are doing the teaching are the ministers in in one sense. And you'll see why that's not the case in every sense. But in one sense, these are the ministers. All right. So let's look down at verse 12 where we see Christ's purposes for doing that. All right. Verse 11 says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I want us to notice in that verse, who's the one doing the ministry? Who's being equipped to do ministry? You you have two different parties here happening, right? You have the party of the ministers in the word, in the sense I just used it, ministers equipping, and then you have the saints doing the work of the ministry. So it gets a little confusing if I use the word minister there because it's the saints who are the ones doing the ministry. Okay, that doesn't mean the... uh, ministers the ones teaching the word are not doing the ministry but the equipping is to be passed on to the saints you all to be doing the work of the ministry so that's the that's the method that's the paradigm that's christ's purpose in doing this so the the ministers are teaching the saints equipping them to be able to do the work of the ministry And this varied ministry, these different kind of ministries that are being taught to do, it's not all the same thing. It's not like we cook up an idea and we're going to go do such and such. One type of ministry, one set place or goal or target or whatever. It's more of you being equipped to do ministry the way God has gifted you. Our equipping, the equipping of the word being taught to you is for the purpose of strengthening and developing and putting legs on the gift that God has already put in you. And that gift is going to show itself in varied ways. More to that. We'll get to that. All right. So that's the gifts of the body. Now let's look at the goals of the body. Verses 13 and 14. Again, it's a long sentence, so I have to back up a little bit. All right, so the uh, apostles, prophets, etc. were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. First thing I want to notice in there is verse 13. It says, until we all. It's a corporate concept. This is, this is a little difficult for me to get my mind around. And it's largely because of where I'm from. Most of you are from here too. I don't just mean Fallon or Nevada. But I mean Western thinking, particularly recently, the emphasis is on me, right? Me and Jesus. That's what the Christian life is, me and Jesus, right? And so there's a different mentality going on here. He doesn't say each one of you, right? He said that earlier in the gifting. Each one of you are gifted in in various individual different ways. But now he says until we all, 
he's bringing the emphasis back on corporate. All of us. Okay, it's not just me anymore. It's not just me and Jesus. It's us. So the emphasis here is on the body of Christ. Till we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There's so much in there I would love to dig into, but I can't really. I can't really dig into it. It's a, it's a thick passage, but what I want us to see here is this unity that's being developed. He says the unity of the faith, not meaning just me believing in God, that's, that's a kind of faith, but also we can talk about the faith, right? The faith that we have, our trust in Christ and what that means, okay? The body of faith, I don't mean the body of, of this church or, or any other church, but I mean the faith, what we believe. What do you believe if someone asks you, what do you believe? What's your faith? Oh, well, I believe, you know, and you, you would go through and talk about the essential things that you believe. So that's what we're talking about, being unified in the faith. And also being unified in the knowledge of the Son of God, the unity of the Son of God, of the knowledge of the Son of God. Those two are connected there. There's a unity there. And this all stems from the teaching of God's word that happens. And so you've been gifted in, in different and unique individual ways to do various things but the unifying factor comes from the teaching of god's word as you're as you're instructed from god's word as we're all instructed from his word about how we are to exercise our gifts etc like i said there's a lot in there but i want to move along so that's the that's body unity 13 a was body unity i want to talk about body stature so body unity and now body stature. Stature means like height or size. Second half of the verse there. Until we all attain to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is us growing into Christ, growing into Christ's likeness, becoming more like him. Most specifically, we can see those uh, laid out in the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So we will be growing up, not just individually, but corporately. We as a body will become more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient. Okay, We as a body functioning in that way. So these are the goals that we're aiming at. We're aiming at the body, uh, as the body of Christ, we're aiming at growing up into Christ. And then he says, if, if we lose sight of those goals... Then we become prey to certain body vulnerabilities. Verse 14, body vulnerabilities. He says, so that we may no longer be children. Remember, he just talked about stature, being tall, being big. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Sometimes we are deceived by charlatans who are trying to sell religion for a price. And they're making a buck off of it, or several million bucks off of it. That happens. Okay, that, ha- that happens. People out there who make a living out of profiting from selling some sort of false teaching, whether it's some sort of name it, claim it kind of gospel, or some sort of health and wealth, something like that. They, they make a buck on the side too, while they're telling you that God is going to uh, give you a buck also. So there's intentional deception. There's also just bad teaching that happens. People who themselves are just deceived. 
They believe things that aren't true about God. So that happens also. Various winds of doctrine that come around that would teach you things that are false, not because the person teaching you is trying to get one over on you or deceive you or anything else. He himself is deceived. All right, so there's various doctrine out there. So we don't want to be children like that who are tossed and fro, uh, to and fro by that, right? Who are, who are easily deceived by those sorts of things. This reminds us of later on in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, he's going to get to the, the armor of God and the fact that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, we're dealing in a spiritual warfare here. All right, so those are the body vulnerabilities. But instead, verse 15, he moves on to talking about growth of the body, growth of the body, specifically, first of all, gospel speech, gospel speech. This is this is verse uh, the first half of verse 15 there. He says, rather, rather than being a child, beat up, deceived all the time by by uh, these various deceptive and destructive forces, bad doctrine, cunning, human cunning, uh, craftiness, etc., Rather than that, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, when he says speak the truth in love here, that doesn't just mean tell me the truth. Is my tie straight? Right? That's not what it's about. Or tell me the truth. Does this dress make me look fat? Right? That, that's, that, that's a different conversation if I ask you that question, by the way. It's not just tell the truth. Call it as you see it. It, it. it involves that. We are to tell the truth to one another. But in Ephesians, flip back to chapter 1. We're still in Ephesians, but back to chapter 1. Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. When Paul's talking here about speaking the truth, he's not just saying, tell the truth, say things as they really are. Of course he means that. Of course that's true, but it goes so far beyond that in the book of Ephesians. The gospel is called the word of truth. The word of truth. And so that's an entirely new step for us. It says, speaking the truth in love, let us do these things. So how do we speak the truth in love to each other? Well, of course, we hear the gospel, the truth, the word of truth preached from the pulpit, right? We talk about it at Bible studies. We hear it. We read about it, things like that. But he says, speaking it, we, all of us, are to be speaking that truth to one another. That means we need to know it. What is the gospel, the word of truth? We need to know that. But it also means we need to be talking that way with each other so that when I'm Tempted to hopelessness. Ah, it's never going to get better. It's just never going to work out. You know, I think about the election coming up, for example. And I think one way or another, this is terrible. It's the end of the world. It's not, this is awful, right? And so I'm thinking that way. Well, you, as my brother or sister in Christ, you need to be speaking truth to me. Truth of the gospel. Now, how does the gospel relate to my situation? To the fact that I'm hopeless, the fact that I'm counting on earthly things. I'm thinking I'm going to be saved by some man. I'm thinking that, that our redemption really is going to happen because of an electoral process here in the United States. That's going to mean the end or not the end of the world. Or the world as I know it, right? So I am, I have so bought into that that I'm seeing this way entirely. And I've forgotten to look up. And so you come along and you say, Brennan, 
you got to think bigger than this. You got to see beyond this. You got to see that God is the creator of us all. He's over all of us. He's, he's the one who, who made us. Elections are no big deal to him. And besides, we, we live in this world that is sinful and horribly corrupted by sin. And Brennan, you are horribly corrupted by sin in your nature. You were made to be in a relationship with God, but you blow it daily. You don't deserve any kind of relationship. By your actions, you would make him your enemy. But the Savior that came wasn't just some guy. was the Son of God who became a man. Lived a perfect life, not making himself God's enemy, but walking in perfect obedience to him. And then offered himself up to pay the penalty, Brennan, that you owe for your sins. And he died on a cross in your, in your stead, in your place. But God didn't leave him dead. God's Savior didn't get left dead, didn't get left to, to hang out to dry. God raised him from the dead. And not only was that a good thing because he was, the Savior was restored to life, but also it, it shows that his, his offering of himself, his own life, was sufficient to pay the penalty for you, Brennan, and for everyone else we know. His offering was sufficient. God declared it just, and he accepted it. And then he raised him back to be with the Father where he is seated on high and has all authority. Christ has all authority now. So, Brennan, when you're fretting about the election, when you think it's hopeless, or it all depends on some swing state, the future of the world, remember this truth, Brennan. Remember this truth. That is speaking the truth to one another in love. Now, when was the last time you had that conversation with someone? With someone else in this room? When was the last time a brother or sister in Christ was struggling, was at the end of their rope, and you had that conversation? That is speaking the truth to one another in love. All right, I'm, I'm going to move on here from gospel speech, though that is the center of what we're talking about. Point B there, growth in every way. We're to grow up in all things, not just in that one area, but in all things we are to grow up. First part of verse 16 there says, from whom, from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Good working order. That means everything is functioning properly. Okay? Now, the image that we've been given in this passage so far, and I know it's been a little hurried and a little uh, detailed, but the image that's been given is this. There are various gifts. There are various parts to the body. Though we're unified, we're one. We're one body. There are various differing gifts. Think about your own body, right? If you had your bicep as your quadricep, you would be in bad shape, Okay? But God puts a quadricep where there's supposed to be a quadricep, right? So there's various gifting in different ways, okay? But, and that's, that's part of the unified whole. But if those muscles, those various parts are not connected to one another and aren't given their central drive and direction, you're not going to be walking anywhere. You're not going to be doing anything, accomplishing anything. And that's the picture going on here. Is He says there are two different kinds of gifts that have been given to the body. One is given individually to each of us in different ways. And the other is the gifting of the teaching of God's word to us. 
that directs us in how we are to live our lives. Directs us into how we are to exercise the gifts that we have. Okay? And so when that instruction, that direction is happening the way it should be, and when we as each part are growing in how a bicep is supposed to function, and we're getting good at that, we're getting, we understand how we're supposed to do that, we're obeying God and how we're supposed to do that in our own function, the gifting that He's given us, and we're submitted to the teaching of God's Word, that is a body in good working order. That is a body that can do push-ups, that can run fast, that can work hard. That's a body doing the way, acting the way, behaving the way, functioning the way it should be functioning. So, bring that back to us, because we're talking about the body. Now, it's talking about the body of Christ across the world, but we don't... That's a different story. I want to talk about the body of Christ within this building. Us, Parkside, who we are as believers. How do we function? How do we function? Are we aware? Are you aware, saint, that God has given you certain gifting that is unique? There may be others in the room who have very similar gifting. But it is unique to you. And it's different than than the vast majority of us. And God intended that to be functioned. For you to grow in that gift and use that gift under the instruction of God's word to function and do the work of ministry in the world, in our body and outside the doors the way it should be done. That's how we've been designed to do. That's how we've been designed to live as a body. Good working order. And then he says, I'll I'll finish the... The last half there, growing itself under Christ. Let me read this sentence again, verse 16, or verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, not many of you like grammar as much as I do, but I'm going to talk about grammar for a bit. What's the subject of that verb? Uh... 16 there, the bottom, right, almost at the end, makes the whole body grow. What makes the whole body grow? Search for a verb, or search for a noun that is the subject of that verb. Like I said, I like grammar. This is fun for me. The noun is the body. The body makes itself grow and mature. All right? So look at it, verse 16. From whom the whole body, there's the subject, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The whole body. So the subject. Now, does that mean I think the Holy Spirit doesn't do that? No. Does that mean I think the Holy Spirit's not in the picture? No. Does that mean any of those things, that God is not in this equation? No. What I'm saying is God has gifted and equipped uh, equipped us as the body of Christ with everything we need to flourish and grow and become strong and healthy and function the way we should, run the way we should. The body makes itself to grow. That means our ministry to one another. Right now, as a church, we have a certain level of love and a certain level of joy, a certain level of peace, etc., okay? I don't know how to measure that, but we have a certain level, okay? As we minister to one another and function the way we are supposed to, we will increase in those levels. We will increase those levels in one another. 
Now, some of us have the very special gift of teaching patience to other people. <laughs> I think I have that gift, maybe. Not, not because I'm patient, but because I aggravate and make them be patient. But you see what I mean? When we function together properly under the instruction of God's word, we grow. We as a body mature, become more mature. We are growing up into Christ. That's the way it's supposed to function. And so my parting challenge is for us to think about how do we grow? How do you grow? In in the spheres that you're involved in, how do you grow? On a Sunday morning, how are you contributing to the growth of the body? How, How are you pitching in? How are you contributing to that growth? During Sunday school class, how are you contributing? What about a flock group or a small group or the Bible studies you're at? How are you contributing to growth, to the growth of the body there? Small group, you three. That's why I brought up you three. That's, that's an opportunity there. How about your own family? Just your own family unit. Are you contributing to the growth of the body there? Because in that sense too, you're, you're building one another up. You're, the body is building itself up and maturing. That's the way it's supposed to be. But it requires the teaching of God's word, which we do regularly. And... I hope we're faithful, and God help us be more faithful to do that. But that is only one part of it. That's only the ligament or the joint or the thing that that connects. The rest of it is the different parts functioning the way God has designed them and functioning with each other, working, exercising those gifts with one another. That's why I said it's, it's a little bit of a misnomer to call us the ministers. Saints, you're ministers. You are ministers. We are all... To be ministers. That's what God has called us to be. So I want to leave us with that. I want to leave us with a challenge about what is our own ministry? What's our own personal ministry? That doesn't mean I have to sign up to do a Bible study on Tuesday mornings at 6.15 over at the such and such. That's not, that's, that's one kind of ministry. But ministry in people's lives. When I see somebody down, when I see somebody in sin, when I see somebody that just needs encouragement or, or maybe they're, they're getting off track doctrinally or, or, or they, you know, they tell me they haven't read their Bible in a month or whatever, I have an opportunity to minister. Get in there and minister. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what we're called to do, and that's how the body functions properly. So the question that I asked initially was, who wants to see us grow? We all want to see us grow, but nobody wants to see us grow more than Christ wants to see us grow. And he has gifted us with the teaching of God's word and individual gifts such that we as a body can grow and become stronger and stronger and function the way God is intended to and the body grows towards being Christ-like. So that's a challenge I want to leave us with. Just think about that in your own life, your own ministry. What is your own ministry? Are you functioning the way you're supposed to in the body of Christ, the way he's empowered you to do? He gifted you uniquely to be able to do it. So get out there and do it in his power. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you have gifted us the way you have, supernaturally, miraculously put gifts within us, given us abilities by your spirit to to do things, to function in certain ways that the guy next to us just can't. And it's a ministry to him that I can do that. God, I pray that you would bless us as a body and that we would grow up and mature into Christ as a body, that our various levels, however you can assess them, we can't, 
the levels of our love and joy and peace and patience, etc. Lord, help us as a body to grow and mature, really to grow ourselves up as a body. Lord, we as a church submit to you and ask for your work by your spirit in our lives and in our midst. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.